We on yet? Oh, there we go. I'm not sure if the young people have ever heard of Garth Brooks, but this is what Garth Brooks made famous. These uh, microphones that sort of are attached to you. Thank you, Toby, for, for reading that. I feel like Toby read that so well that we might as well just be done and go to the closing song. But I'll have a few things to say in the meantime. A man named Gary Richmond, who wrote a book called A View from the Zoo, he worked for many years in the Los Angeles Zoo, he tells a story of a girl named Julie who had a pet, a pet raccoon who she used to carry around on her shoulder. And the pet raccoon was named Bandit. And Richmond writes, I mentioned Julie and Bandit to our zoo veterinarian one day and inquired as to why more people didn't keep raccoons as pets. His answer floored me. They undergo a glandular change at about 24 months. After that, they become unpredictable, independent, and often attack their owners. Are there exceptions, I asked? None that I know of, he said thoughtfully. Then Julie is likely to be bitten? Any time now, I should think, the doctor added with conviction. Now, since a 30-pound raccoon can equal a 100-pound dog in a scrap, I felt compelled to mention the coming change to Julie. She sat and listened politely as I explained what an eminent world authority had shared with me concerning raccoons and their nature. I'll never forget her answer. It will be different for me. Bandit is different. And she smiled as she added, Bandit wouldn't hurt me. He just wouldn't. Three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery for facial lacerations sustained when her adult raccoon attacked her for no apparent reason. Bandit was released into the wild. Well, this young woman had been, good, had been, had been, had been given good advice. She was given good advice and she ignored it. She deceived herself about the dangers of having a 30-pound raccoon that could attack her. Now last week in Romans chapter 2, we read about people who thought they were right with God. They were spiritual leaders among the Jews and they were teachers and they figured that they were guides to the blind and they were teachers of righteousness and they were instructors of what's good and what's right in God's sight. But Paul said that they were disobeying the law that they were teaching. And so their professions were meaningless and God was not pleased with what they were doing. They were deceiving themselves. They thought that God was pleased with them and God was not. They were under condemnation. Our passage from James that, that Toby just read speaks twice of how people can deceive themselves. He draws a sharp contrast between those who hear but only hear and don't do and those who hear and then go on and do what the word says. And James gives us two commands to help us avoid being deceived. The first main command is to receive the word 
And the second one is to do the word. Now Jesus said something very similar, and a few years ago he went through the book of James, and I think Josh pointed out that James often mirrors the teaching of Jesus. Jesus wrote, or I'm sorry, Matthew wrote, and Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus says, not the one who says, Lord, Lord, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So these people thought they were doing God's work. They thought they were fine. They thought that they were going to get into heaven one day. And Jesus says, no, you're workers of iniquity. And he, he will disown them. So what about people who really are God's people, who have the Holy Spirit? Can, can they deceive themselves also? The answer is yes, for periods of time, for seasons. And so James's words are dealing with a whole range of people. People that think that they're children of God and are not, and people who are children of God and have maybe gotten stuck in a dark place. He gives us two commands to help us. First, receive the word, and second, be doers of the word. So in verse 19 through 21, James starts out, now the first command of course is, as we see it in verse 21, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness, but he's got a preface to this. And so he leads up to the command and he says in verse 19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It may be that the churches that he was addressing had some issues with loose lips and unbridled anger. And so he says, I want you to put away this filthiness and this sin, and here's some that I really want you to think about. And so he prefaces the command in verse 21 with some examples. And so he says in verse 19, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, I think the women are gonna be going through the book of Proverbs in, in a while, and if you go through the book of Proverbs, you're gonna find dozens of passages about the use of the tongue. And so Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Or the book of Ecclesiastes also has things to say about the tongue and anger. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Now, since those are not problems in today's 
21st century times, I'm just going to move on. No, we all have issues with how we use our tongues. And in fact, in chapter 3, James says that a person who can control his tongue can control his whole body. So self-control starts with the tongue. But James's command here is put away, in verse 21, all filthiness and rampant wickedness. So the idea of putting away is the same word that we have for uh, putting, putting off our clothes, taking off our clothes, and it means removing, getting them off, getting rid of them. It says, put off wickedness. This is kind of like pulling weeds. I know that most summers we go away and we come back in the summer and all, there's no weeds in our lawn. This year, unfortunately, we came back and there was a massive crop of weeds because of all the rains that we had this summer. Now, when I lived in the Midwest, I thought that I knew what weeds were. When I came to Arizona, I learned what weeds really are because they grow really quickly. And so we had a whole, we had a, basically a lawn in our front yard of weeds. And it's a difficult task to get those weeds out. Getting rid of sin is like getting rid of weeds. We have to keep working to pull them out daily, hourly, to get those weeds of pride and covetousness and selfishness and anger and unbelief out of our lives. So James says, put these away, but we need to do more. He also says in verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So what's this implanted word that he's talking about? Well, back in verse 18, he says that God brought us forth by the word of truth. So the word of truth is involved, the gospel. He brought us to birth. We were born again through the gospel. So this implanted word has to do with this, this being born again. And I think James is likely looking back to the promise from Jeremiah 31, verse 33, that says, in that day I will write my laws on their hearts and in their minds. So through the Holy Spirit, God has now placed his law in us. But how do we receive what's already implanted? That seems a little bit paradoxical. It means that we accept the word, we submit to it as the final authority in our lives, and then we do it. This is similar to the parable of the seed and the sower that Jesus told. He said, the seed goes into good ground, and then it grows up and bears fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So we keep receiving the word so we can keep bearing fruit. And he says that the, world, the word is able to save your souls. Now, we often think of soul as sort of this, this spiritual piece of us. But what James is talking about is your whole life. So all of you, your mind, your will, your emotions, your body. The, this word that is implanted is able to save all of you, is able to save your soul. So 
What does it mean to take in the word, to receive the word with meekness, with humility? Well, the humility part of it says that rather than thinking we know everything, we admit, you know what, I don't know everything. That God knows something better than I do, and I can submit to what he's got to say. And we need the word to keep us on track because the world is continually trying to mold us into its way of thinking. Remember that Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way? Well, the world is constantly telling you, do it your way, do it your way. And the Bible is saying, do it God's way. So we need to take in the word of God to get us back on the right track regularly because the world is trying to push us off the rails all the time. It's relentless. And it's like the air we breathe, the world is all around us. And so we need the word of God as our ultimate authority. We need to take it in, preferably daily, in some form or another. So the first command that James gives is put off sin and receive the word. But this brings us to the second command because just hearing is not enough. He says in verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So the second command is to be doers of the word. Now in verses 22 through 24, he contrasts hearers only with doers. So be doers of the word and not hearers only. Well, there's a couple of things that we learn about hearers only in these verses. The first thing we learn is at the end of verse 22, it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we learn that hearers of the word deceive themselves. Now this word for deceive can mean to reason falsely, to reason to a wrong conclusion, to reason fraudulently. So it doesn't just mean sitting back and doing nothing, it means that we can actually reason our way to thinking that we're okay when we're not. So here's a New Testament example from Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 40. Here's Jesus and says, in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So these guys, these scribes, were very religious. And they would pray and they'd give alms and sound trumpets before them and, and people respected them. Look at that godly man. And they would go in the, into the, in the temple and make prayers. Oh, God! And they would sound pious. But Jesus says they're devouring widows' houses. Now, what does that mean? Well, it may be that they were just charging a lot of rent. They owned property. It may be that they were charging interest. And when a poor widow was unable to pay the interest, they'd, they'd take the house and kick the woman out. 
Isaiah talked about this when he said, woe to those who add field to field so they can live alone in the land. It means they're kicking people out and leaving them destitute. So these guys were putting on a good front, but they were robbing the helpless. They were robbing widows. And yet, they may have convinced themselves that they were okay with God. Well, somebody else will take care of them. They weren't paying their rent. They're just irresponsible. They'd find ways to justify their own actions. They'd reason their way into deception. So hearers only may be active. They may, they may pray. They may be in Bible studies. But they may be deceiving themselves. So the second thing we learn about hearers only, not only do they deceive themselves, but they also forget the word. They forget the word. And that's what we see in verses 23 and 24. For anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. So they, they look and then they forget. Now I imagine that there are some wives and mothers in here today who wonder if their husbands or their, children, their sons ever look at a mirror. Now, I don't know if it's, this happened to you guys, but after I got married, I noticed that some of my clothes started disappearing mysteriously. <laughs> Generally the old and kind of the ratty ones. Now, I would stand in front of a mirror with an old sweatshirt that maybe had a stain on it and the collar was getting frayed. And I'd walk away and would I do anything about it? Nah. It's comfortable. I've had it for 20 years, it's comfortable. So it wasn't that I didn't see the image that was coming back to me. I didn't do anything about it. And the mirror is designed to, if I've got dirt on my face or something's amiss, to, I'll take care of it. Here's an Old Testament example of people who were hearing the word but ignoring it, forgetting it. Ezekiel 33, starting with verse 30, is God talking to the prophet Ezekiel. He says, as for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act. Their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are like one who sings lustful songs or beautiful songs with a beautiful voice and, play, and plays well on an instrument, for they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes and come at will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Now, all of us are familiar with the, the, the fact that music is powerful. We can hear a, a beautiful song and it can move us to tears. Oh, man, that, that just 
That was a beautiful song. Or we go to a concert and we're, we're moved or to a play. And for the rest of the evening, we're just, we're moved. But the next day, a week later, it hasn't changed our life. Ezekiel is saying that people hear the word of God and they, they want to go, they, they go hear it and it moves them. It's like a beautiful song. And then they walk away and it, it does nothing. It hasn't changed their lives at all. So it's not that people don't have the information. The scribes knew that it was wrong to take advantage of poor people. They were just ignoring it. So how can I be sure that I'm not deceiving myself? Now we've learned that people reason their way into acting wickedly. And they think that they're pleasing God. So how can we avoid that trap? Well, we might say, well, that could never happen to me. There was a man named Demas. We read about him in Colossians 4, verse 14. And at that point, he was a companion of Paul and Luke. Can you imagine the kind of teaching he received? I mean, other than Jesus, Paul was probably the greatest teacher who ever lived. And, and Demas was a companion of his. He heard him preach regularly and teach, and he had personal interactions with him. And he probably saw Paul perform miracles. Talk about a great mentor and discipler. Then we learn in 2 Timothy, near the end of Paul's life. He says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas may well have convinced himself that he was still doing the, word, the, the, the will of God and following the word of God. But Paul says, he's in love with the present world. He left me. So it's easy for us to see hypocrisy in other people, but not so easy to see it in myself. So now the other question you might be asking is, is this an issue for Christians? I mean, clearly those, those nasty scribes, well, they weren't really believers. And Demas, well, he probably wasn't really a believer. But what about Christians? Is this an issue for Christians? Can we deceive ourselves? And the answer is yes for seasons. We can deceive ourselves short-term, although not long-term, because God will pull us back from the, from the darkness that we're in. But to the extent that you are being a hearer and not a doer, you are deceiving yourself. I'm deceiving myself. So you may be a true child of God, but you're stuck in a place of darkness. Maybe your anger is getting to be a pattern. Now, I'm not talking about somebody cuts you off in traffic and you get angry. That happens. And we sort of pull ourselves back from that. But maybe anger is getting to be more of a settled pattern and it's starting to affect your speech. Or maybe, maybe you're not controlling your tongue 
the way that you used to. And it's just sort of running it now, and, and you're speaking evil of people more regularly. Maybe you've allowed bitterness to get into your life and, and, and take root, and it's starting to poison you, and you just don't feel like you've got joy anymore. Jesus addressed a whole church, and he said, you've been active and doing great, but I have this one thing against you. You've left, you've left your first love. The church at Ephesus in Revelation 2.4. So yes, it can happen to Christians. And James gives us a, a key to getting back on track. He gives us an answer to self-deception. He says, obey the perfect law of liberty, which is the law of love. Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So he says we need to look, persevere, and do. So what's this perfect law, the law of liberty? Well, it's clearly not the law of Moses because that condemns us. So what are we talking about here? Well, he talked about the word of truth back in verse 18 of this chapter. Then he talked about the engrafted word in verse 19. I'm sorry, in verse 21. Uh, Receive with meekness the engrafted word in 21. So it's a law that brings freedom from sin and death. Paul talks about this in Romans 8 too. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So this is the law, this perfect law, but, but James goes even farther. He's a little more specific. In James 2.8 he says, if you fulfill the royal law, According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. So what's this royal law? The royal law is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then at the end of that passage, in verse 12 of chapter 2, he says, so speak and so act as those who will be judged by a law of liberty. There's that word again, the law of liberty. So the law of liberty that he's talking about here is this law that frees us from the law frees us from sin and death, and frees us to love one another. So that perfect law, the law of liberty, this royal law, well, where does this love come from for a Christian? Well, it comes from God. And so I used to ask the, the youth group that I, that I taught back in Illinois, where does the love of God come from? And they say, from God. It's the love of God, right? They go, oh, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, it comes from God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, Galatians 5.22. Romans 5.5, for the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So he's freed us. This perfect law has freed us from sin, and it's freed us to love. From sin to love. And so he says, if you look at this law diligently, 
and you persevere in it, you give it a good shot, you try, you obey it, and do it, you will be blessed in your doing. So what's this doing he's talking about? Well, it means that we love other people. Now, do we love them perfectly? No. But God works through imperfect people like you and me to love other people with the love of God. And we get to participate in that. We get to participate in God's loving the world. And when we do that, we will be blessed. He says he will be blessed in his doing. In John 13, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And then he sat back down and he said, Now, I've given you an example that you should do what I have done to you. And he closed off by saying, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So the blessing doesn't come from knowing it. The blessing comes from doing it. We read Psalm 1-3 earlier. And verse 3 says, um, He will be like a tree planted by streams of water who brings forth its fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. Was he talking about prospering in business? Maybe, but that's not what the verse is talking about. This person might prosper in business, but Psalm 1-3 is talking about whatever he does for God will prosper. The blessing is not material. It comes from knowing that God is with you, that his power is working through you. You're experiencing his power and ultimately the assurance that you're a child of God. Someone might ask, well, I really want to feel God in my life. Yeah, the answer is love people, obey God. And you'll feel them in your life. Now, I'm not saying that every minute of every day it's easy. We go through dry seasons, but the blessing comes from doing. The assurance comes from doing. So he closes out then in the final verses by giving examples of a hearer only and a doer. And so in verse 26, he says, if anyone thinks he's religious, there's that idea again, deception. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. This person is not putting away sin. He's not controlling his tongue. He's not controlling his anger. See, we're moving back full circle back to verse 19 again. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This guy is running his mouth. He's not bridling his tongue. And James says, this man's religion is vain. He's not a doer of the word. But verse 27, he gives an example of somebody who is a doer of the word. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
Now in the Old Testament, the idea of taking care of widows and orphans, that was shorthand for love God and love your neighbor. So he's coming back to this idea of the law of liberty. The person who does the law of liberty, and here's a practical example, who takes care of the helpless, who doesn't oppress the helpless, but helps them and takes care of, and takes care of them. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. And that goes back again to verse 19. Put away filthiness and the sin and keep yourself unstained from the world. The world is trying to stain you all the time. So the answer is not to get out of the world. That's what we like to do. We'd like to be like David. I, w I wish I was, had wings like a dove. I could fly away to the mountain. Sometimes we feel like that. But the answer is not to get out of the world. The answer is to stay in the world and serve other people with the strength that God gives, with that word that's been implanted in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that pours his love into our hearts. That's the answer. Be in the world, loving other people and fighting sin. So just a couple of things to think about in conclusion here. Number one, do you suspect that you've been a hearer only and really deceiving yourself about your spiritual state? It's possible. It can happen. It happened to Demas. It happened to those people that came to Jesus or who will come to Jesus on the day of judgment and say, look at all we did for you. And he will say, I never knew you. That's scary. But there's good news because Jesus died for hypocrites. The Christian religion is maybe the only one in the world where you have to admit that you're a hypocrite to get in. Yeah, Jesus died for hypocrites like you and me. So there's good news. Jesus is ready to receive you if you turn from your sins and turn to him. Number two, how do I stay on this path? And how do I get back on it if I've been sidetracked? If, let's say, maybe I've left my first love. Well, Jesus has an answer for that as well. Actually, James does. Jesus does through James. First of all, we pray for wisdom. Back in verse 5 of this chapter, Jesus, James says, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him pray. And we pray for light. Memorize Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Where, where David says, Search me and know my heart and try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We can pray for light to come into our darkness. Then we confess it. John says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God's forgiveness is not just psychological mumbo jumbo. It actually is power to cleanse us from unrighteousness if we confess our sins. Jesus gives us power, not just a little nice attaboy 
while he leads us on the tightrope to fall off when we can't keep our balance. And he gives us power to stay balanced. Another thing we can do is be in fellowship with people that are willing to tell us the truth. We trust people to tell us the truth in fellowship. Sometimes just a word from somebody else can kind of get us back on track. And above all, do what James says here. Receive the word with meekness and follow the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of loving your neighbor as yourself. That's how we get back on track. It all comes back down to the love of Jesus. Let me close with a word from a book by Sir Samuel Baker. He was an explorer of Egypt back in the, I believe it was the late 1800s, early 1900s. He wrote a book called In the Heart of Africa. And he relates the following incident. Many years ago, when Egyptian troops first conquered Nubia, a regiment was destroyed by thirst in crossing the Nubian desert. The men, being upon a limited allowance of water, suffered from extreme thirst and deceived by the appearance of a mirage that exactly resembled a beautiful lake, they insisted on being taken to its banks by the Arab guide. It was in vain that the guide assured them that the lake was unreal and he refused to lose precious time by wandering from the course. Words led to blows and he was killed by the soldiers whose lives depended upon his guidance. At length, the delusion vanished. They wandered over to that, what they thought was a lake. The fatal lake had turned into burning sand. Not a man ever left the desert, but they were subsequently discovered parched and withered corpses by the Arabs sent upon the search. If we allow ourselves to stay deceived, it will lead to disaster. We need to receive the truth and then do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us your word. We are thankful for reminders like this, for people that speak truth into our lives and for the word of God that, show, that, that gives light to our path. Give us grace, Father, to be doers in Jesus' name.